Hello, this is Phil Lawler for the Center for the Restoration of Christian Culture at Thomas More College, coming to you with a fireside chat. Since the death of Pope Benedict XVI, I've been thinking about how much he meant to the Church and how much he meant to me. For the most part, how much I loved him, I still love him, how much I learned from him, how much I'm grateful for his teaching and his example, even for his leadership as pontiff, which has been much underrated. He was the one who started the serious drive against sexual abuse. He was the one who began the process of bringing Vatican financial corruption under control. He was the reforming pontiff. But I have to admit, I had one complaint about his resignation. It always felt to me like a betrayal, as if the shepherd had left his sheep. He couldn't predict what would happen, of course. He surely thought another good shepherd would take over. He didn't imagine that someone like me would soon be writing a book about his successor and entitling it The Lost Shepherd. Maybe you, too, were puzzled, even baffled, or hurt by Pope Benedict's resignation. And maybe, since I have been following Vatican events closely for nearly 40 years now, it's my job, you'll be interested to hear how I've worked my way through this question. Let's go back, begin the story on the day of his resignation. As editor of Catholic World News, I logged on to my site early in the morning and saw that my assistant, who begins the headline, the process of putting up headlines, had put in a headline about the Pope announcing his resignation. I was angry. I thought it was a bad joke. That's not the sort of thing we should joke about in our news service. It was only later that I realized it was true. We'd had talk about papal resignations for years. In fact, Pope Benedict himself had contributed to the discussion of the possibility of a resignation. It became a livelier possibility late in the life of Pope John Paul II when he was so seriously disabled for so long. But the talk of papal resignation had always, up until that day, I would say, centered on the possibility that a pope would be unable to function, that he would have some medical trauma that would make it impossible, a serious stroke or something that would make it impossible for him to work. But what Benedict said was that he didn't have the strength to continue the job. If you remember the stories of that day, they were very dramatic, although they started out anything but. It happened at a consistory in Rome, what's called an ordinary consistory, which is a gathering of all the cardinals who are in Rome at that time. Ordinarily, an ordinary consistory is just what it sounds like, an ordinary event, usually for the purpose of reading decrees, such as in this case, decrees about candidates for beatification or canonization. But this day, when the business of the consistory had been finished, Pope Benedict spoke, and he spoke in Latin. I imagine many of the cardinals uh, weren't really paying attention because it was a routine meeting, or so they thought. And many of them aren't as fluent in Latin 
as Pope Benedict was. But there was one reporter who was fluent in Latin, and it was when she gasped that people began to pay more attention. She gasped when Pope Benedict said these words, I have come to the certainty that my strengths, due to an advanced age, are no longer suited to an adequate exercise of the Petrine ministry. He went on to say, Both strength of mind and body are necessary, strength which in the last few months has deteriorated in me to the extent that I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry entrusted to me. He went on, of course, to announce that he was resigning. And soon enough, we were all gasping and wondering why. My own analysis, I can tell you frankly, was that he had some medical issue that had not yet been disclosed. I thought he'd probably be dead within a few weeks. I was confident in that analysis, and of course I was wrong. He lived another ten years, and so we wonder, why did he resign? And we wonder, especially because of what's happened uh, in the meantime, especially because of the radical changes in the Vatican and the conduct of the Holy See under Pope Francis. It's no mistake that after the death of Pope Benedict, many media outlets were saying the death of the former Pope would leave the current Pope, Francis, more free to enact the policies that he wanted. Enact policies, it was implied, more or less explicitly in an Associated Press article, policies that Pope Benedict would never have approved. So why did he resign? The explanations really didn't add up, I thought, and many others thought the same, and so, inevitably, some conspiracy theories arose. Conspiracy theories that suggested Pope Benedict hadn't really resigned, that in some way he remained the Pope, uh, that there was a dual papacy, that he had been forced to resign somehow. Pope Benedict was clear, consistent, and emphatic in denying all of these theories. He said on several occasions, it was his decision, his decision alone. He alone had the authority to make the decision. He made it alone. It was not a serious illness. This became more evident as time went on, at least not a, uh, not a traumatic illness. But Pope Benedict did expect that he would not be alive much longer. His longtime secretary, Archbishop Ganswein, has disclosed that at the time of his resignation, Pope Benedict expected that he would die within a year. In retrospect, he might have been right. Maybe he would have died within the year. Uh, and that's part of the story. Just a few weeks ago, we had new information that came to light for the first time. Pope Benedict, before his death, had written to his old collaborator, Peter Sewald, with whom he worked on several long interviews that became books. He told Sewald that he resigned primarily because he suffered from crippling insomnia during his pontificate. Now, as it happens, 
I can sympathize because I too have had a long bout with insomnia. Thank God, I think it's behind me. But I know how debilitating it can be when all you really want to do is sleep and you can't sleep or you can't sleep enough to get the rest you need. When you come to work and you struggle to get the minimum done and you postpone what you can't do and there's so much you can't do, you don't have the ambition for big projects, uh, you feel you're only doing the minimum and not doing it well, you worry about the things that you're not doing and of course the worry doesn't help you sleep. In the case of Pope Benedict, he was given some medications to help him get some rest the medications, of course, had side effects. Uh, he had to restrain, restrict his working hours. He had to take naps. The naps probably weren't very restful. It came to a head for him, apparently, when he was on a plane ride coming back from World Youth Day, and he fell. He attributed the fall to the effects of the medication, maybe making him less alert, and he stumbled and he hit his head. It wasn't a serious injury, but you know how sometimes a cut on the head can bleed profusely. And apparently he woke up and found his handkerchief soaked in blood. And he was shaken by that, not so much by the injury itself, but by the thought of what could have happened. It could have been much worse. When you fall and hit your head, it can be, of course, very dangerous. And that convinced him uh, that he had physical, medical problems that he could no longer avoid dealing with. Uh, after that time, he did not take long trips. Um, he cut back his schedule. And he began thinking about resignation, as we now know. Forgive me now if I take another trip down memory lane because it's part of the story, at least part of the story to me. To go back to the conclave of 2005 in which Pope Benedict was elected. If the day of his resignation was a sad day for me, that was an incredibly joyous day. As soon as I saw the white smoke coming out of the stack of the Sistine Chapel, I knew that it was then Cardinal Ratzinger who had been elected. And I was delighted with that choice. It was the obvious choice, and that's why I knew. Uh, he was the leading cardinal. There's no question that he stood out as the first name on everybody's list of papabili. Most people, myself included, had decided that he wouldn't be elected. Uh, still, we listed him first on the list of papabili, and we explained why he wouldn't be elected. He was 78 years old, almost exactly at the time of his election. That seemed old. His health was not good. It had never been particularly good. He was never a strong man, and he'd had two strokes. He was not known as a good administrator, and at the time, it was becoming clear that a good administrator was needed in the Holy See. He was controversial. In his long tenure as head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, he had made some enemies. Uh, we now know, much later, that there was the St. Gallen Mafia 
influential cardinals who were plotting together to make sure that he would not be elected as pope. Last and certainly not least, he didn't want to be pope, and that was known. He had an academic personality. He wanted, he had at least twice sought to resign from his position at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He wanted to go back to his academic work, which was the love of his life. And he stayed on only because Pope John Paul uh, begged him to do so. Shortly after he was elected Pope, he told a group of German pilgrims in Rome that when he saw the votes coming and realized that he was going to be elected, he felt as if he was facing the guillotine. That tells you a lot uh, about his attitude towards the papacy. He did not want it. There are some people, no doubt, who want to advance uh, in ecclesiastical careers. There are some people who are suited for leadership, who revel in it, who draw energy from it. I think it's fair to say that Pope John Paul II was such a person. He, he was born to lead. Uh, I think he, uh, he flourished as Pope. Not so Pope Benedict. He, it took a toll on him, and he always knew it would. However, there's another thing that he revealed after he was elected about a note that he had received from a colleague, a fellow cardinal, shortly before the conclave. The cardinal who sent that note, Cardinal Christoph Schoenborn, a former Archbishop of Vienna, has disclosed that he was the author of the note. Pope Benedict never actually gave his name. But Pope Benedict did say something about the note that he had received. And bear with me when I quote a couple of paragraphs from that. This is from Pope Benedict speaking about the note. He reminded me that on the occasion of the Mass for John Paul II, I had based my homily, starting from the Gospel, on the Lord's words to Peter by the Lake of Gennesaret, Follow me. I spoke of how again and again Carol Wotia received this call from the Lord and how each time he had to renounce much and to simply say, yes, I will follow you, even if you lead me where I never wanted to go. This brother cardinal wrote to me, were the Lord to say to you now, follow me, then remember what you preached. Do not refuse. Be obedient in the same way that you described the great Pope who has returned to the house of the Father. This deeply moved me. The ways of the Lord are not easy, but we are not created for an easy life, but for great things, for goodness. Thus, in the end, I had to say yes. He had to say yes. Not that he wanted to say yes of his own volition or of his own, uh, of his own likes and dislikes, but he did say yes, and by the time he said yes, he had made it an act of his own volition. I remember vividly that day seeing the newly elected Pope Benedict come out on the loggia of St. Peter's Basilica and wondering whether 
it would be evident from his looks the burden that he felt on assuming the papacy. On the contrary, I saw him wreathed in smiles. I had worried whether he would be willing to do this job, to take this role. And I saw him embrace God's will with joy, with the joy that comes not from doing your own will, but from bowing to the will of the Lord and knowing that's the right thing to do. That willingness is one of the reasons that I love Pope Benedict. But it cost him, and we can't forget that. Some people take on leadership because they love it. Others take on leadership because it is thrust upon them. There's no question that Pope Benedict was in the latter category. He embraced the work, he did the work, but it was always going to be a strain for him to sit on Peter's throne. It's always a strain for anyone, I'm sure, still more for a man who never wanted to be there, and still more because of the times. Remember, he was dealing with what he had said before his election was the filth in the church, the corruption. Despite his efforts, there was the continuing scandal of sexual abuse, which had come first in the United States, but now was exploding across Europe and threatened to explode all over the world. There was a financial meltdown at the Vatican with international bankers cutting off the Vatican's uh, lines of, of credit uh, with charges of money laundering in the Vatican Bank, uh, with bankers questioning whether they wanted to do business with the Vatican anymore, and in fact shutting down the ATMs that the Vatican had. There were internal documents being leaked, uh, the VataLeaks scandals, unprecedented. There's always been gossip in the Vatican but confidential documents appearing in the press. There were the rumors, and more than rumors, clear evidence of a homosexual cabal operating within the Roman Curia. Pope Benedict did respond to all this evidence of scandal. He commissioned, he put together a commission of three senior cardinals to investigate and report to him and that report on corruption within the Vatican, and particularly on the uh, evidence of corruption in the moral lives of Vatican officials, that report was delivered to him not long before his resignation. The report, a very voluminous dossier, was handed over by Pope Benedict, then Pope Emeritus Benedict, to the newly elected Pope Francis. We've never heard about that dossier again. No doubt, during his pontificate, Benedict was frustrated and worse than that. No doubt, he was in pain and questioning himself. Why couldn't he do more to eliminate the corruption that he saw around him? No doubt, he saw the enormity of the challenge as did all the cardinals uh, at the next conclave after his resignation, when 
before they voted, before they gathered to vote in their conversations, the dominant themes were about the need to clean up the Vatican, to get rid of this corruption, to have better administrative controls. No doubt Pope Benedict was frustrated by his own lack of energy, by his age, by his failing strength. It's very significant to me that he was unable to finish his projected encyclical on the virtue of faith. He had begun in the summer of 2012. By February of 2013, when he announced his resignation, the Vatican disclosed he would not finish it. Now think about this. This is a man who had written dozens of books, uh, hundreds of essays, and he an encyclical is a comparatively, well, a very short book or a long essay, and he was unable to complete it in a year. That tells you he was not able to do the work that he could ordinarily do. He'd seen what happened when Pope John Paul II was weakened by illness in his last, the last months of his life. He had seen that while there was no doubt a courageous witness that the Polish Pope made to the dignity of life, there was also a price that was paid, the exploitation of his weakness by people around him. He wondered, I'm sure, Pope Benedict wondered, would the same sort of thing happen to him as he grew weaker? Would he be exploited? Would others uh, do end runs around him in the Vatican? As far as his health went, maybe he could persevere for a while. But psychologically, um, in terms of his energy, did he have the gifts that were needed? Before his election as Pope, in one of those interview books that he did with Peter Sewald, the future Pope Benedict talked about the possibility of papal resignation. Now, this was a theoretical discussion at this point, with no anticipation that he would be the Pope considering to resign. And he said, if the Pope realized that he lacked the physical or psychological strength needed for his work, he not only could resign, he should resign. He is saying it was a moral imperative. And now, in 2013, he was concluding that he was not qualified, that it was a moral imperative for him to resign. A moral imperative, something that the Lord was calling him to do, and he had to say yes again. Now, if that's the reason behind Pope Benedict's resignation, do we accept his judgment? Frankly, in light of the last 10 years, it's hard to swallow. But he couldn't see 10 years into the future. Should we now complain about that resignation, or should we defer to his judgment? Well, after years of regretting it, I've decided to defer for three reasons. First, Pope Benedict XVI was much smarter than I am, much more prudent, uh, much more uh, conversant with the moral laws that governed his actions and should govern all our actions. 
Second, Pope Benedict was, I'm sure, more prayerful, a holier man than I am or was. Uh, he was more in touch with the Holy Spirit who guides us and guides his decision. Third, and perhaps more important than one and two, in fact, I'm sure more important, he had a grace of state to answer this question. In theology and in canon law, it's quite clear that a pope and the pope alone should make the decision about whether or not to resign. No one needs to accept his resignation. No one needs to approve his resignation. No one can veto his resignation. It's his call, and he made the call. Regrets? I've had a few. But today, I don't blame Pope Benedict for resigning. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this fireside chat. Again, I'm Phil Lawler for the Center for the Restoration of Christian Culture at Thomas More College. If you've enjoyed this chat, I hope you'll put yourself on our email list to receive news about future fireside chats and about our other programs at the Center. Please tell others. Forward this link to others. Tell them about the Center. And if you support our work, we'd be grateful for any financial donations, for any publicity you give us, and for your prayerful support. Thanks again.